that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. Um, thanks for listening. We are back again for episode 11, I believe, and uh, Pete is here as well. Hello. We're back with a vengeance. We are, and we're going to talk... This time it's personal. Oh, yeah, way personal. And we're going to talk about what I think, and I can tell, is probably Pete and I's favorite, one of our favorite portions of being an alien fan, fan, and that's the music. Absolutely. Uh, because I, I come from a very musical background myself. I've been playing guitar for over 10 years now, and it's just music is such a crucial part of my life. You know, I don't go a day without playing guitar, listening to music, or, or just enjoying music. And it's crazy, like, how, how much of an integral part of film uh, the score is. And it's just uh, mind-blowing to listen back to them without any film on top of it and just listen to it, like just music. It's crazy. It is, and uh, it's it's so much the experience. I mean, I think you and I agree, um, and maybe many people agree, um, we'd love to hear you guys' feedback afterwards, uh, that the score of Alien is probably the best out of, out of all of the films, all of the films being the first four films and then Prometheus. Um, it really just sets up a mood, unlike any, I mean, the mood that the first Alien sets, the, the music that Elliot, or I'm sorry, that uh, Jerry Goldsmith wrote um, for the for the, uh, for the film is just, there's nothing like it. And actually, a little trivia, um, they re-edited uh, Jer- Jerry Goldsmith's work um, against his wishes, um, and they included some other tracks that were written for other things. Um, so as much as we love it, uh, Jerry Goldsmith was not happy with portions of it, which I find very interesting. And I don't think it's so much he wasn't happy with his work, he wasn't happy with them using it without his, without his permission or without his input. Exactly. Um, and another interesting piece of trivia that's probably a little more well-known, because I didn't know that um, Jerry Goldsmith's score was reused and included in on Alien Isolation soundtrack. And the interesting part about that is that they got members from the original Symphony Orchestra to uh, record portions of the soundtrack over again for the game. So it has the not only the original score and portions of it, but some of the original performing members that wrote and performed it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, it's just it's a testament to the work that he's done. And uh, yeah, uh, so basically, we're this is a, a, a our podcast really exploring the sound portion, not just obviously technical sounds, but the scores of the alien films and how important they are when they fa- when they succeed and then when they fail. Um, or like with aliens, uh, it seems like Peter and I are kind of agreed that it was just kind of a it, w- it the score worked for the film, but it wasn't that memorable. Um, but we'll get into that later. So I'm going to start off. We're going to start listening to the main title from Aliens. We're just going to listen to it for a little bit, and then we're going to discuss it. So here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
just amazing shit. It really is. It's couldn't have said it better myself. I, I, I just can't even. I mean, what it feels fills me with, what it fills my heart with when I listen to it. I can't explain it. I I think that at its core, it just depicts a very bleak future uh, where the emphasis is on uh, not so much humans as it is humanity a whole. Like the uh, underlying goals of the human race are overshadowed by the potential that the stars have. And obviously, this is exemplified with uh, Wayland Yutani's uh, just business model, building better worlds, even though they're like wrecking the humans that are colonizing them. Yeah. Um, but it's just really ethereal, that opening. It's, it's not from this world. And I like the, the constant whirring and the... Yeah. And they're using... Sounds like the wind. Totally. It's like they're using these sounds like... I mean, I have a, a CD case in my hand, so I'm going to make a sound with it. But if that sound then echoes. Um, and it's like uh, Goldsmith uh, decided I'm going to approach this very different in a very different way. And he used the sounds of things clanking and that clanking resounding out. Um, but also what I love about it is it, it's that feeling of being in space and being alone. Listening to that music. I mean, I need to listen to it tonight as I go to bed. But it's just I'm filled with so much. Yes, it's dark and it's foreboding, but at the same time, it fills me with so much wonder. Do you feel that way? Absolutely, uh, which goes along with uh, that ethereal sense of wonder that I was hinting at. Um, and I noticed like the echoing portions. I think it sounds like cello, and it's just like ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Like that, it's just uh, goosebumps. Oh, totally, totally. Such a fitting opening for one of the best science fiction films ever. Oh. And it's crazy to think that... Uh, Forty years later, the score stands very tall amongst others. I really like Jerry Goldsmith's work. Me too. Uh, his score for Outland was just as good. Really, I need if to hear you get it. a chance to check that out. Okay, um, I yeah, I, I you know it's one of the greatest science fiction scores to ever be made. I mean, it's up there. I mean, I think it, I I love the the score to Two Thousand and One: A Space Odyssey, but it's a very grand operatic score. It's very you know, mm -hmm. and it relies upon existing pieces. Um, but it's still really well. It's, it's made really well. Um, but this soundtrack, I just can't even go on enough about it, which I think we need to now listen to the hypersleep movement. Um, cause that's really, really, Oh, uh, that is my favorite. Is it really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's one of mine yes. too. So let's listen to that one. Just awesome. Oh, oh man. It makes me feel like I am a very small part of a very big universe. Yes, yes. Oh, the magic of just movies, that, man. 
<laughs> that uh, that just that grand sense of how how small we actually are in the universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's something very godlike, or I don't know, godlike, but something. Yeah. That that we're a part of this this overarching. We're yeah. We're these small specks in this tiny. We're these tiny tiny specks in this vast unknown, and uh, that's the kind of the honor that that uh, comes along with that, you know, in a way. Um, oh my gosh. Like, I just want to, I just want to, I mean, I don't want to stop doing this podcast right now cause it's going to be awesome, but the music is so good. It makes me want to stop what I'm doing and just listen and let it take. Oh, absolutely. Uh, is there any other clip you want to hear before we move on? Uh, let me pull up iTunes real quick. Cause okay. I have the entire, I have like four different versions of the score on iTunes. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. There's several different ones. And um, by the way, just so again that everybody's listening to, we're listening to a remastered edition of the Alien soundtrack. Um, it's on YouTube. It's by a man named Alvaro G. Plata. Um, it's incredible. I do not believe it's available for sale. I don't think he can legally sell it. Um, but I recommend everyone go and listen to this entire score, which you can from start to finish, uh, just to kind of re-engage in that world. It's You won't be sorry. Um, I'd have to say either the landing or the skeleton. I don't know if the skeleton's in the remastered score, but All it's right. in mine. I'm looking for the landing right now, the derelict. I think it might be the derelict. He might. Oh, here it is. Here's landing right here. Okay. Um, so let's listen to the landing and uh, see where that takes us. Oh, it's just so powerful. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, dynamic. As I was listening to it, I was hearing the theme. The da -na -na, da -na 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 -na. And I, to be honest, a little bit of it reminded me of the Prometheus theme, um, which we will get to much later. Um, and But the, the landing of the Prometheus. But w what this juxtaposes is the landing of the, landing of the Nostromo onto LV-426, um, and how ominous that was, how heavy it was, what a process that was. It wasn't this easy thing. And then you fast forward to Prometheus, and them landing that ship was no big deal. Um, there's, and it, it's just, and it's reflective of how many, how many times has a ship landed in movies since that, since Alien. When Alien premiered, there weren't a lot of, of space films, except for maybe Star Wars 2001. Those were the big, huge space films. So, and, you know, and we were still going to the moon. We were taking these trips with NASA. Space exploration to us was still this, whoa. So it was depicted in a way, musically, that represented that. Now, you know, fast forward years later, we're so used to it that spaceships landing aren't ominous anymore, which I think reflects Prometheus. Anyway, it's just an interesting little, um, little uh, 
aside that I had uh, of hearing that music. It's interesting to consider one of the main differences between the Prometheus and the Nostromo is like comparing a garbage truck to a yacht. <laughs> Although, people, get all, people get all bent out of shape saying, oh, it takes place like 30, 40 years before Alien. How is that so? Well, I mean, you don't exactly see like, you know, planet scoping devices on, say, an airplane. So people get all bent out of shape about that. It's just silly. Yeah, and, uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of comparisons to be made. It, it is silly. It's, uh, I mean, I, I, it's interesting to kind of, again, compare and contrast these two films dealing with similar subject matter of a similar things happening where a, a ship is going to a planet um, the ship of Prometheus, I think, is as equally as beautiful as the Nostromo. Um, at least the exterior is. The interior doesn't feel as connected as the interior of the Nostromo. It doesn't feel like as like as uh, it doesn't feel like a, a full ship. It feels like set pieces in some ways. Um, maybe it was a full ship, but I think that has a lot to do with again the score really setting up for Alien. The score setting up move and, and the cameras moving through the ship. And we're, it's, you know, because the ship was built as, the set was built as one piece, which I believe it also was built as one piece in Prometheus, but there was just a different vibe to it where we felt, where we were as an audience taken through the ship before there was anybody who had been awoken up or woken up. Um, uh, just, just interesting notes. Um, anyways, shall we move on to Alien? I feel that that would be wise, but before we do so, um... If there's uh, out the door on the score, the last song. Yeah. I think if we gave a little listen to that selection, that would be a nice way to send it off. Okay, let me see where that one is. Back to hypersleep, end credits, the, sh the shaft, last survivor, confrontation, headhunter, Brett, motion tracker, at Narcissus Hive. I don't. It's called out the door. It's it's like the last song on the the score. End credits? Uh, something like that, yeah. End title, end credits, the show, okay. something like that. Let's listen. So here's the end credits to leave you with this masterpiece score. that move you Pete uh, it definitely tells the story of a woman who's just lost everything and now she's finally overcome all of that yeah and she survived she's the last survivor yeah she earned it she did and that is the triumphant uh, goodbye to Ripley for now yeah uh, it's just it's a wonderful piece and I, well, this is what I was gonna say I don't know how many of our viewers are familiar with who Bernard Herrmann is. I'm a huge 
uh, soundtracks fan. I listen to soundtracks primarily. I mean, I do listen to other music for sure. Um, Bernard Herrmann wrote a lot of the soundtracks for um, Alfred Hitchcock's film. One of his one of my all-time favorite uh, scores is Vertigo um, by Bernard Herrmann. And I bring him up to say that I hear some Bernard Herrmann in Jerry Goldsmith. Um, and I also hear some Bernard Herrmann in John Williams, which is a discussion for another time. John Williams, of course, being the, the a composer for Star Wars. Um, but yeah, it's just... It's interesting to hear these really classic movements. I mean, you're talking, the score was probably written in 78 um, and then, um, you know, put to, put to the screen. And so there's a lot, you know, I think Bernard Herrmann might have even been alive still in 78. Um, Hitchcock was still alive. So I hear a lot of old Hollywood in this, a lot of elegance. There's just so much elegance to this score. Um, and then you skip to Aliens and things start changing. Um, so why don't we... Scoot on over to Aliens. How about that? Sure. Sending uh, Alien out, it's interesting to note that a lot of it is avant-garde and music concrete. It's just really out there, but a lot of it retains the same classical, like you were saying, um, vibe to it. There's portions of the score that are most definitely, they could be considered classical music. Um, I mean, I'm inclined to knock music notwithstanding. You know, yeah. what uh, Dallas is listening to in the shuttle. Yes. But, um, lots of it is definitely classical in nature, but I like the avant-garde um, feel to most of the score. He hit it out of the park with that. Oh, yeah. It's just perfection. It's perfection. It's it's a perfect score. Um, so now let's see how things changed uh, by 1986. This is Aliens, uh, the opening track called Main Title by James Horner. So here goes. to a little bit more just to see where it takes us. All right. First thoughts. Uh, I can tell by the music it sounds like there's distress on the horizon for Ripley mm -hmm. we send her off so triumphantly like yeah you did it you killed the alien and left behind everything you'd ever known but there's a problem with that uh, you were asleep for almost 60 years and now we want to send you back and I think the uh, main title echoes that the uh, desperation that everybody's feeling towards um, losing contact with the colony, uh, Ripley's desperation to find out what happened to her daughter, etc. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's interesting, and I, I you know hearing that score, um, it, it does have some. Obviously, it's ambient. It's it's very foreboding. Um, it's very explosive in a way, um, and you have that violin or whatever it is that they're using, um, really kind of telling a story just in that kind of lone that lo the lone string playing. You know, and I, it's interesting um, hearing it by itself as we're kind of critic or, or we're discussing it, 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 it rings a little bit different. It rings, it sounds a little bit better to my ear, um, but it's a very different score and it, it works to me on a much more basic level. Um, it's certainly more background music. It's not as melodic. It's not as elegant, um, but it's good. I mean, but, and I, I don't think that the score for Aliens, I've never thought of it as bad. I just thought of it as, as perfunctory and um, it, it worked well. I'd, I'd say that it works well. It it could have been much better. I mean, I'm I'm in no place to say anything. I'm a struggling musician and it's very self-critical. But um, I just I just feel like it didn't really pay any respects to Jerry Goldsmith's score. Whereas Elliot Goldenthal's score, which we're going to discuss later, most certainly does in so many ways. And I feel like it's the baton being tossed. But as far as Aliens goes. It's, like you said, definitely more background music, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, it has it has more of like a mechanical, like 1980s feel to it yeah. because it was released in the height of the 80s. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I think also, and we well, obviously we're going to listen to a few more tracks, um, but it, it, it really kind of accents what you're seeing. And it kind of, it's like, there's an old saying, certainly when I went to film school by one of my teachers. Um, she goes, don't just tell them that you're doing something, show them that you're doing something. But what I think is happening is the screen in Aliens, which is a fantastic, one of the best sequels ever made. I love Aliens. Um, there was everything, I think that um, Horner's score really kind of was, it, 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 it did what the visuals were doing. So it was kind of like, oh my God, they're going to explode. And then the music explodes, you know, like it, it, it didn't act as, it's quietly, not quietly, not that it needs to be, it doesn't need to be Jerry Goldsmith's. I think a good score for an alien film doesn't need to replicate the prior one. What it needs to do is it needs to create its own uh, texture, it needs to create its own um, tapestry. And I feel like it, the score for Aliens didn't. It just kind of accented the, the visuals. And for me as a purist, in terms of score, uh, it wasn't as original as I would hoped it to be. Well, it, it certainly uh, fit the, the film's visuals better than Aliens did. Um, I'm hard-pressed to say that uh, it was a better score than Jerry Goldsmith's. I don't think that whatsoever. Um, a good score nonetheless, but um, certainly lacking in terms of the storytelling that uh, the score for Alien had. Uh, Alien's score was definitely more towards the storytelling element, like the myth and the lore. Yeah. You can definitely hear that in the music, whereas uh, Horner's score was just uh, displaying what was on the screen in musical form, yeah. which isn't bad, but I just prefer um, the storytelling instead of the, uh, what am I trying to say here, like uh, the reciprocation of the visuals yes. in, in auditory form. Yeah. Where the, the, the music really, the music itself is another, a whole other film. The music is telling you something without telling you something. It's leading you on, but it's doing so in a way that's, yeah, that stands alone. I think the, the, uh, the test of a great score is whether you can listen to it by itself 
and um, not just think about the film that it accompanied, but think about other things. And for me, when I listen to the soundtrack of Alien, um, I'm not just thinking about Alien. It's making me dream about space. It's making me dream about the future. It's making me um, think about many, many different things. And I think that's why it's so successful. Now, the score for Aliens, not bad. It's not a bad score whatsoever. It just it didn't bring me to that place. <clears throat> it feels detached from the and when you compare the other scores. Yeah. Like it's just separate. Let's listen to the next track four, which is called LB four two six. See how see how that goes. little repetition um i mean it's like we listen to the opening again you hear that snare or the drum in the back like very military obviously it's dealing with the military so they're really right i was gonna i was gonna point that out oh, uh, yeah. this score is definitely way more militaristic more uh, patriotic and prideful yeah in and of itself yeah um in opposition to alien but i i think for what it's worth it it does the job um the the, the militarist aspect of the sound. It's very percussive. There's a lot of uh, conflict in the score um, that works to its advantage, but it's it's very much a percussive and violent militaristic score, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think part of my issue, I remember, you know, again, I've always loved Aliens. Um, it's my third favorite after Alien 3, so my, my favorite films are Alien in terms of the Alien films. Alien, Alien 3, and Aliens. And I like Alien 3 so much better because it evokes the tone of Alien in, in a bit more succinct way. Anyways, um, I had some issue years and years ago. I was a little bit more critical of Aliens um, just because I, because of the militaristic, um, or you know, that sound. And I felt like it was, it's like this... And it's the film everybody loves, and it's like, oh, the Marines, let's kick ass, kill them all. And I just, like, it was so kind of patriotic Americana. And for me, I, I tend to be a fan of more subversive things. Um, I tend to be a fan of things that aren't, like, patriotic. Not that I'm not patriotic, obviously, but just in terms of the art and the films that I like, I, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, like, Marines in terms of, I mean, I have friends and family or whatever who served it's not has nothing to do with that but I, I just felt like aliens really catered to this kind of Americana spirit which that's fine that it did that but because it was so mainstream mainstream things tend to I, I tend to kind of shy away from a little bit more which is why aliens tends to be my third favorite um, even though it's an amazing film and it's one of the best sequels ever made period I can totally understand where you're coming from with that. You just kind of shy away from the more mainstream militaristic things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's move on. Let's listen to one more track. Um, I was thinking maybe the Med Lab track. Is there anything that comes the to mind? The Queen. The Queen. All right. Let's go there. Let's go there.
<laughs> a little bit repetitive in nature, but I think um, that probably has to be my favorite selection from the score next to Bishop's Countdown. Yeah. Um, because it's just really dark and foreboding. It is. And you just you get the sensation that you are in that hive just staring at this at that point then unseen uh type of alien and it's just huge yeah. and it's yeah. it's gonna kill everything. Yeah. And it's something uh Ripley has never seen before and she doesn't really know what she's looking at. I mean I, I will give it to you the that scene too where when you first go into it and Ripley goes there, you see this big sack thing depositing an egg and it's disgusting and all that gloop and glob that's just falling all over and it's depositing an egg. And, you know, I remember even as a kid when I saw that for the first time, I was horrified at it. Horrified, but at the same time, I couldn't stop watching it. And I just couldn't stop watching it. And ever since seeing that, I'm always interested in, like, uh, Queens and ant hives or queens and termite mounds, like what they look like. And it's very similar, that ovipositor um, kind of making eggs. And it's just, it's it's an interesting scene. Now, I don't remember this music. From, I mean, we're, we just listened to it. But what I remember from that scene is the is the, the queen. I don't even think about the music. Um, so the music is just kind of this ambient rumble to kind of set up, you know, basically the music, oddly enough, takes a step back. And it says, let the visuals tell this story. And they do. And uh, it really, really works at that point. I agree with you on that one. I'd have to say uh, that selection from the score is definitely a nice counterpart to uh, the Jerry Goldsmith level of ambiance yeah. in uh, film scores. Yeah. It uh, certainly stands apart from the rest of the score. Yeah. I say we listen to something a little bit more upbeat in terms of this soundtrack. And I say Bishop's Countdown. Because um, there's a lot going on in there. And I'm curious to listen to how that sounds. What do you think? Absolutely. Nice way to send it off. All right. Bishop's Countdown. Here we come. So powerful, yeah. Like it just—you can feel the tension and the uneasiness and the stress when you listen to that, and the the dire desperation to just hurry the fuck up and get out of there. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, again, I think that the 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 dialogue or the dialogue, the uh, the the music is very um, it's very obvious to me. Um, that doom, doom, you know, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, no, fortunately or for, unfortunately or fortunately, I've heard that before in Horner's scores in other films. He's used that same movement, that same, that like militaristic, like mark, that's not a marching, but it's a, it sounds like a door closing almost, 
um, or metal. The percussive, the percussiveness. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that in more of his scores, to be honest. Um, It's interesting. It's effective, to be sure, but it leaves very little to the imagination. Um, Which, you know, maybe uh, because there is so much going on on screen, um, that's what this score needed to be. It needed to be way more simplistic. It needed to just kind of just enhance what we were seeing. Again, I know I've said this a couple times before, but it's not a bad score. It's a very well done score. It's just not the score for Alien, um, and it's it, op- it takes definitely takes a back seat to the uh, visuals, which is okay. Yeah, and the visuals in Aliens, um, they don't compare to me to the visuals in Alien. I mean, they're just, it's a whole different story to be to be sure. Um, there's some things that are happening in Aliens uh, that very much mirror some of the things that happen in Alien in terms of Final Countdown. Um, the alien gets locked, uh, you know, is in an airlock. Um, very interesting things. And even the voice in the final countdown is a woman's voice like alien, which I think is odd. Um, nobody talks about that very often, but, uh, it, it, it gets the job done. I mean, aliens is a, is a, uh, testosterone fueled, which is interesting because it's, <laughs> a, it stars a woman. Um, but it's very testosterone fueled, um, uh, film. Um, and the score d- does not relent. Um, it's it's quite something. Uh, yes, and I tend to agree with you on that. Um, it's it's a good score, but by by no means does it uh, live up to uh, Alien or Alien Three. Yeah, which brings us to Alien Three. Good segue. Um, Alien Three by Elliot Goldenthal. Just a very effective opening. Cool. <laughs> I, you know, I, I almost, I almost feel like I have uh, really missed out on just how great this score is. The score is hands down probably the best part about Alien Three. Um, I, I just feel like I really missed out because you know, just watching the film, um, not really taking too much into account when you just watch it. Any version, theatrical assembly, whatever. It just doesn't really stand out, but then when you listen to it on its own, it becomes it's, it becomes something different entirely. Yeah, and it's so amazing. Yeah, I agree. You know, for me, uh, growing up the way that I did in in kind of a very religious household or setting, um, I couldn't see Alien Three. Um, I was sixteen, but and I should have been able to see it, but I couldn't. Um, so I had only the score first. And so uh, that's what I fell in love with first about Alien 3. Um, and I remember I had a poster of Alien 3. It was a bald Ripley at the head of my bed. Um, 
and I was, you know, making creatures from Alien 3, but I still, I wasn't able to see the film. Um, but I was really, really excited about it. So I have always loved this score. It really echoes, uh, it's a good uh, sequel piece to Jerry Goldsmith's version, uh, score. It's just hollow. It's it's that same type of you're in space and what's about to happen, but it's melodic and it's ethereal and it's beautiful. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, it's like the baton was tossed from Jerry to Elliot, like just two composers um, from one to another. They just tossed the baton and the connections made because while a lot of this score definitely does have some conventional um, film soundtrack elements to it, you can definitely hear um, just how different and how apart from the rest this one really is. Because, I mean, this one is totally out there in terms of musicality. It is so way beyond anything else that's alien, but in the same way that um, Jerry Goldsmith was ambient and in a lot of ways experimental, um, Elliot Goldenthal's score just totally takes that like 20 steps further. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's just, uh, it's mind blowing. I mean, and then you have the, the boys choir, um, which we'll hear, uh, then we're going to hear parts of that. Um, the boys choir, uh, element is really haunting. You have this beautiful, innocent choir, but they don't sound beautiful. I mean, they sound beautiful, but it's ominous and dark and narcissistic and, um, or I should say maybe not has a nihilistic, um, uh, feel to it. It's just uh, that the end is near or something. I, I, yeah, it's this score leaves me speechless as much as Goldsmith's does in a very different way, though. You said something about the boys' choir. Do they do they sing in the autopsy scene? Because that one, the autopsy uh, uh, selection from the score, is just it floored me. I don't remember if um, they sing in the autopsy. Let's get to that. I want to. I think we should listen to. The next track is called Main Title Continued, and I think we should explore that main title a little bit more, um, just to see, and then we'll, and I, maybe even the, uh, the boys choirs in this one too, but I'm not really sure, but let's give that a listen. Interesting stuff. Interesting, beautiful stuff. Yeah, just so, so, it's so ethereal and dark. I mean, just the, the dichotomy of what he captured in this score is mind-blowing, that he could do something so beautiful, but so dark. Um, it's fascinating, and it almost echoes kind of Ripley's um, journey, where you have this beautiful woman in this very dark place. So the music kind of you know, in the darkest place she's been. Before, on the ship, I mean, she kind of knew where she was. She knew what she was doing. 
But Ripley in Alien 3, you know, there was a double threat there. There was the threat of her life, uh, the threat of rape um, with all the men that she was around. And then there's the threat of, you know, further rape, um, which was the alien and eventually the alien that she was eventually carrying. Um, and so you have this score that really echoes that like that. Yes, there is beauty in this darkness, um, but the, even the beauty, the, 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 the beauty is dark as well. I, it's just fascinating to me. The autopsy selection is a great one to head on to next. Yeah, let's do that. Wow, wow. Now this is from uh, the Cliff Eidelman Royal Scottish National Orchestra um, performing these tracks from the Aliens, all three Alien films. Of course, this was put out before Alien Resurrection came out. Um, but that that track there for me, I mean, it's, I think about Ripley, actually. I think about, this is kind of her end. This is her, her final journey um, and how tragic it is. It's just tragic. Um and it's like it's like a it's like a, a funeral song almost. I'm not much for begging. <laughs> Nobody ever gave Nobody me ever nothing. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy. Yeah, it, it's just it's great. I mean this 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 soundtrack again. Uh, I, I I gotta listen to it. I gotta listen to it very very soon from beginning to end. It's just great. Um, there's another track I think we should end it with. It's called Candles in the Wind from Alien Three. Not to be confused by Elton John's Candles in the Wind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see what this one sounds like. I'm going to talk over it a little bit and just say this again reminds me of the soundtrack to Alien. It's very subtle. It's in the background. You kind of hear these weird dark chimes or something um, echoing kind of in in this great big space, even though they're kind of trapped in this in this uh, prison. It's just amazing. The score is so great. And I think that's a great way to send it off until we uh, discuss the dreaded Raelian Resurrection. <laughs> Which I'm actually interested, you know, I, it's been a long time. I bought the soundtrack to Alien Resurrection when it came out. Um, 
because it was released before the film back in 97 um, and I was 21 um, <laughs> uh, but yeah I'm interested to hear this I mean, again uh, I, I I'm really mirror your opinions um, that this score is the worst of the bunch we're listening to you know we still have one more after this which is Prometheus um, but uh, yeah let's let's so let's let's give this a listen and see where it goes this is uh, Alien 4 soundtrack 1 main title uh, by John Frizzle. Well, <laughs> that piece sounds as, as odd and as disconnected as the rest of the movie is to watch, you know? Absolutely. I agree with you on that. It feels so detached from everything that makes Alien, Alien, yeah. uh, just like the film. And I'd say in that regard, it does a perfect job of being just like the film. It is the auditory equivalent of the uh, celluloid hoax that is on the screen. Yeah. You know, there's, I remember when I'd seen Alien Resurrection for the first time, and the couple, you know, I saw it seven times in the theater, and I've said that before. I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I remember after watching Alien Resurrection, I felt kind of sick to my stomach at the end of it, just because there was so much, like the thing was sucked out, the, you know, the newborn was sucked out the window, and, um, and it kind of it was really, really gross, and there's a lot of slime, and there's a lot of, of like heads being bashed in and all that it was just it was really a gross film it was that's what stood out to me i was like this is just gross and by the time i was done i just again i felt sick to my stomach and the the score really um the score really echoes that for me and you know i know you know pete and i we we, we like what we like and we don't like what we don't like and and there's always discussion and we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. and we're we're sitting here and we're listening to these tracks um but for me, they don't resonate. And I don't even think that the music is bad music. It's not bad music. It's just completely wrong for Alien. It lacks a lot of the uh, otherworldly qualities that I think made um, Alien and Alien 3. Uh, their scores stand so tall above the rest. Yeah. Um, for sure. It's just, it's just lacking in all regards. Yeah. Uh, were there, were there, was there maybe like another song you wanted to put on yeah, from that, um, that score before do, we go to Prometheus? Let's continue. Let's listen to two more. So there's one called Docking the Betty, which is an interesting, it's actually a really one of the scenes in Alien Resurrection that's uh, technically, aesthetically, it really works. It's a great scene. Um, so let's listen to how that sounds. It's been a long time since I've heard this music. I haven't watched Alien Resurrection in years. I just can't. Um, yeah, just just spare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so.
lot of James Horner in this. Yeah. Yeah, I hear a lot of James Horner too. And also, again, it's 1997. By this point, audiences everywhere have seen ships dock all the time. But it's it's very triumphant. Like, why is it so triumphant? Why is it so... Dun, 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 like, I... You know, and I, you know, I, I don't know John Frizzle. I don't mean to say this as uh, a slight against him, but it's very pedestrian sounding. It's very like, oh, I've never done a, a feature length film before. Uh, I've never scored one before, so I'm going to score this. And I'm going to go overboard with it. I mean, maybe he was just following uh, notes from Jean Pierre Genet, but it's just so obvious. It's so obvious. It's like B music. It's B. It's uh, which. I'm kind of contradicting myself because I made the last point like it's bad music. It's not bad music, but for an alien film, it's B-grade music that doesn't fit. Um, well, I mean, you have to consider that Resurrection's a B-grade film yeah. at its best. Yeah. Oh, uh, I would say Resurrection's <laughs> a D-grade film at its best, um, but we've discussed that before. But I'd be interested to see Alien Resurrection scored with Jerry Goldsmith's score or Elliot Goldenthal's score. That would be interesting to see how that uh, would put the uh, put the music from yeah. those on top. I think mm -hmm. it, that would be interesting. It would be interesting. I think because music is so integral to films, it might change how we see the film. Um, but uh, let's let's uh, get out of Alien Resurrection with another track, and we'll discuss that briefly before we leave. Um, let's just le leave it with Ripley's theme. I don't really remember what Ripley's theme was. Um, from the film, but that's the last track on, on this soundtrack. So here we are, Alien Resurrection, final track by John Frizzle. What are your first thoughts? Well, it's certainly not bad music at all. It just doesn't, it, again, it doesn't fit with uh, Alien Resurrection or Alien as a whole. Yeah. It doesn't do any favors for Ripley. It just... Exactly. exactly. It exists. It doesn't send her off um, in her last film appearance as Ripley yeah. in any sort of glorified way. Yeah. Like, okay, I mean, yeah, we just killed this human-alien hybrid, but that's that. It's the end of the movie. Yeah. And, Go home. And what's interesting is I, I don't hear Ripley at all, and but at the same time I realize the Ripley we're seeing in Alien Resurrection isn't the, the, the same Ripley. It's a very different, conflicted Ripley. But at the same time, I it almost sounds a little bit too sentimental, too feminine, to be honest. Uh, Ripley's a great character because she's a human, not because she's a woman. Um, and I feel like it's just sentimental, and it's a little bit strange because Ripley is a little bit strange. You know Ripley Eight, as she is called, or or she is known because of her tattoo. 
Um, it's just odd. It's so odd. It's just very, but again, the movie is odd. It's a very, it's a, it's almost, you know, it's like the alien, it's like the AVP Requiem of the alien, of the four alien films. It's just, it's just kind of the, one of the strangest misconstrued or, or just pair, it's almost a parody of, of the films that had gone before it. And I kind of hear it in the music where nobody kind of knew what they were doing or maybe not so much what they were doing. No one had a focus and you can hear it in the music and the music reflects the visuals. Like, what the fuck is this? Um, and that's what I think about the music. Again, like you said, not bad music. Interesting. And I can even tell that John Frizzle is, he's trying different things. He's using different elements. He probably got that a lot from Goldsmith. Like, let's try different sounds. Um, I, I understand that, but it just, it just didn't work. So let's move on to something a little bit different. Um, the last part of our, our, uh, our discussion of the, uh, kind of the legacy of the alien sound. And that's the soundtrack to Prometheus, um, which is a very interesting score. I don't dislike it, um, but I don't really like it either. Um, it's very, very interesting. I think we should listen to maybe a few more tracks than normal just to get our head around it. Cause I don't, I don't even really know what, if I know your opinion on it. So let's, here we go. Let's start it with, uh, track one by, by Mark Streitenfeld. That's who the composer is. It certainly harkens back to a lot of the uh, otherworldly qualities and the ethereality, uh, if that's even a word. <laughs> um, oh, oh, I just made it up. Okay. Um, just It has a lot of the qualities that made uh, a lot of the planets' uh, selections um, from Alien and Alien 3 stand out. Mm-hmm. But it's not quite that. It wants to be. It's it's like the thing of uh, alien scores. There's a lot of, I feel like, um, tributes in the Prometheus score to yes. um, the original alien film yeah. scores. Yeah. But it's not, and it can't live up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, and I think... I remember when I first heard the score, when I first, I think I bought the soundtrack. I bought the soundtrack first, and I wasn't um, like I had always done with these films, except for the first two, because I was a kid when they came out. Um, but I tried to really not listen to the score first, but I couldn't help myself, and I did. Um, and I was, knowing that Ridley Scott was back, you know, in the director's chair, and I thought it was a slam dunk, to be honest. I thought, this score is going to be amazing. And then I heard that he had gotten this guy 
Mark Streitenfeld to produce the score. So I started listening to other scores that Mark Streitenfeld had done. Um, and I might be pronouncing his name wrong. Um, and, he, but, and he had been working with Ridley Scott and has been working with Ridley Scott quite a bit. And so I started listening to some of his other scores and I was like, yikes, I'm not impressed by this guy whatsoever. There's nothing memorable about his music at all. Um, so then I finally decided I'm going to listen to this Prometheus soundtrack first. And I did and I was highly underwhelmed. Again, like we've said before, it's not bad music. It's just not up to par. Um, and part of it, the main theme really reminded me of Star Trek, um, which really pulled me right out of the movie. I was like, what is this? Is this Star Trek? This is a Star <laughs> Trek theme? A good Star Trek theme, to be sure, but it's a Star Trek theme. And I want to play that so people can um, get it. I, I think um, the Prometheus score certainly fits the film better than Resurrection did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By far. But that's part for the course. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, uh, you, you, you said about, you know, with Resurrection, the Prometheus score really um, echoes the visuals and the, the film as a whole. It's a very interesting film. They do very interesting things. Beautiful aesthetic. Very uneven. Um, and I think the score really reflects that. It's a very uneven, unfocused score. Um, but I really want to get to that very Star Trek theme. Um, that just, I hear all the time in my head, unfortunately. But I think it might be further along, so let me, I think it's the engineer's theme. Hold on one second, let's, let's see how that is. I'd say that the score in the film itself, when you're watching it, has a much more prominent place uh, uh, in terms of volume. And when you compare it to, say, Alien or Alien 3, uh, it's just much louder and it just works yeah. better that way, I think, because it, it forces you to pay attention to the music. Yes. Yes. And I feel like the music, instead of really help to tell the story, the music ends up taking over. Um, and it's not the best music to take over with. Again, there's nothing wrong with the music per se. Um, it, it's not music of a master. Goldenthal's a master. Jerry Goldsmith is a master. Mark Streitenfeld is not a master. Um, in fact, he had, um, what's his name come in and help him on the, uh, help him on the Prometheus score. Hans Zimmer, um, who he has worked under for a long, long time. Hans Zimmer stepped in. Actually, no, I, I'm mistaken. Somebody else stepped in and wrote the the, the, the kind of, the big kind of melodic piece that sounds like Star Trek that we know. And I, again, I think the best scores are scores that, that you can listen to outside of the film and think about other things. Whereas the score for Prometheus for you just evokes Prometheus and nothing else? Yeah, yeah. Mm, that makes sense. Um, for me, um, I, I feel like the Prometheus more modern take on the... Uh, space exploration sense of things, whereas um, if you compare it to uh, the really vivid 
and uh, explorative nature of Goldsmith's score, yeah. or even uh, Goldenthal's score, which is totally like off the wall weird, but in a good way. It just uh, it doesn't match up, but it's it's good. It is good music, and I will say that it works with Prometheus, but I do not think that it fits in terms of uh, the other scores. Yeah, and of course Prometheus is a bit of a different film. It's essentially, it is a prequel. There's no bones about it. Prometheus is a prequel to Alien with different people. Um, so there's difference there, but there's very similar things. They go into a ship and they discover a ship, and instead of eggs, they discover ampules. There's very similar things. And again, to... to kind of step out of this conversation to some degree. And it's, it's a tricky thing discussing this thing, especially amongst fans. Obviously, you and me are, fan, are fans. We do an alien podcast, for fuck's sake. Um, but oftentimes, fans are fall in love with things so much that what they want to hear is the same thing again. Now, I'm very aware of that idea. I do not want to hear Jerry Goldsmith's soundtrack again for uh, Prometheus or Aliens um, or Alien Resurrection. Um, what I'm interested in hearing is something that is so grand and so beautifully done that it, it works as a piece of art on its own. And unfortunately, in my opinion, um, the soundtrack for Prometheus does not work on its own. Um, it only works as a soundtrack and, uh, because you don't have a master telling the story. So there's one more track that uh, I want to listen to or another track that I want to listen to from Prometheus that, again, really well-made music, but it feels more like Star Trek than, an, you know, an alien, the alien universe. And it just, it's a grand theme, but I think of like the Wrath of Khan or Vulcans or something. Um, so let's listen to that and see what it, uh, what you think. but I can definitely see where you're getting the Star Trek vibe from. Yeah. It's it's just not, it doesn't fit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, Prometheus is a, a strange, strange film. Um, I've, I've said this before, Prometheus is a masterpiece of a film. There's a masterpiece of a film inside a very messy, unfocused, unintelligent film. Um, so I will always watch Prometheus. Just because I can't, my eyes can't drink in enough the visuals and some of the things that uh, Ridley Scott and company were able to accomplish. I mean, it's it's an amazing feat in so many ways, um, but the music just seemed out of place. It seemed like uh, they were going for something, but they couldn't quite get there. Yeah, it's just a, a it's a very interesting film. I really want it's 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 weird when you want to love something so much, but you just can't, you know. Oh yeah, some people are like that. It's like the Star Wars. <sighs> like the Star Wars prequels. I really want to love them, but they're just awful. <laughs> but that's a, a conversation for another day. Um, so let me ask you this, Absolutely. Pete. Uh, what are some other scores of films that 
um, that aren't alien that really stick out to you? I mean, apart from the obvious ones like Star Wars, uh, Jurassic Park, um, I really like the score for 2001. I liked how they included uh, some Loghetti in there, who's okay. one of my favorite composers. Wow. Um, the soundtrack to Drive is amazing. Yes, Drive. That is like my favorite film. Yeah. I just, I just drive. I have, uh, I have his jacket for a reason. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very '80s, but beautiful. There's a very Blade Runner quality to that film. Um, the, the look of the film has just this beautiful, saturated look. But the score is just, it's out of this world. It's, it's dead on. It's the uh, poster child for uh, art house films. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, um, other scores, other scores. The Thing, yes. Yes, yes. Ennio yes, Morricone. Yes. Oh, yeah. Haunting, haunting, wonderful score. Um, let me and I think, you know, we've talked about, like, having a uh, podcast talking about the scores of other films, other great films, science fiction and other films, who I think is really, really worthy. But I know I discussed Bernard Herrmann earlier, which I really hear a lot of Bernard Herrmann in, uh, the best score of the Alien film, which is Alien. And I want to play a piece of it just to kind of end this this awesome podcast that we've been talking about for a while. Um, just being able to sit here with you, Pete, and talk about these things. I mean, it's like being a dreamer. I mean, we're it's just a great, it's a great privilege to be able to talk about music that affects us so deeply, you know? It's one of, uh, it's one of my primary loves. Oh, and, me too. You know, coupling it with film, which this is... You know, probably my next biggest. It's just unheard of. It's great. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to uh, leave this podcast or, or kind of let it fade out to, it's called Prelude and Rooftop, and it's Bernard Herrmann's um, soundtrack to Vertigo um, that was released in 1958 starring Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak, and it's amazing. So prepare. <laughs>